Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Race and Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. Today we're going to be focusing on uh, this specific aspect of tabletop. Though I do think it kind of bleeds out a little bit in some respects into... Uh, video games, and I guess even movies, if you think about it in the right context. Um, yeah, well, video games, especially anything in the kind of like the RPG category. Yeah, yeah, it it is part of the big fantasy kind of Tolkien esque uh, tropes, um, which are these uh, this idea that there are different different races um, in uh, in your fantasy setting, stuff like elves, dwarves, halflings, hobbits, gnomes, um, gnomes, uh, orcs, right, trolls. Uh, all of these different WoW races that, that there are. There's a, there's there's lots of them. Um, Yuan-Ti. <laughs> yeah, Yuan-Ti. That's a good one. Um, and this is obviously also a little bit... Uh, um, uh, I, I, get, I guess a little bit well-timed because ancestry is a thing in Pathfinder 2 that we're learning a little bit more about. Like, the term race is gone, um, and it is more just about... Um, uh, it is about their background um, outside of kind of like a, I guess, a biological context. I don't quite, I don't quite know what, how else to, how else to phrase it besides, yeah, besides I mean, well, that. I mean, there's, there's like the genetics aspect, and um, I, I think roughly you can break down kind of like, uh, like character background into like, like genetics, um, uh, like uh, culture maybe, and then like personal background. Um, in kind of in those three ways, and uh, and and I think that's where a lot of this conversation uh, resides. But but first, just to kind of get it out of the way, because I don't think this will be a very long discussion. What do you think of them uh, of the change or of the use of the word changing to something like ancestry versus race? I'm for it, uh, specifically because <laughs> this has gotten a little bit political faster than I anticipated. Uh, specifically because I think the term race is loaded in a bad way. Um, I think, uh, like, so it carries a lot of context and connotations that are shitty from a kind of like real world, um, like, like idea. And, and this isn't to say that like, there is kind of a, uh, that there is kind of like anything like sinister or malicious about it, but I do think that it is, it is bad and it can be bad. Um, because at the end of the day, from like a human's perspective, there are no other quote unquote races. We're all one species. Right. Um, and so this idea that there are races that are meaningfully differentiated from kind of like a biological perspective, um, is one that kind of carries with it like all of this political baggage kind of from either side, right? Like whether you're on the side of saying everybody is like all people are humans, therefore race is kind of a meaningless concept or, you know, just like there are dog breeds or whatever, right? Like there are, uh, there are different races among humans and we need to kind of recognize that you kind of dodge all of that baggage, right, right or wrong, kind of whatever side you fall on by just kind of saying, you know what, we're going to go with ancestries. Uh, another way that this has been done in Starfinder is just by going by species, right? They are making a very clear kind of scientific delineation um, versus something like races, which doesn't have as much of a, of a scientific basis in the same way that something like species does. Sure. Um, and and my, my view is basically like um, 
a kind of a less intense version. Like I, I don't really care either way. I certainly don't think it's a bad thing that they changed the name. Um, I don't think it's necessarily as big a deal as you do, but I also don't think there's any harm in it. And on balance, if some people think there's a harm, I feel like if changing it makes less people think there's a harm, I don't, I don't see any problem with it. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of an easier way than to have like a, a kind of conversation about, um, cause I, cause I like, I think that this is sort of, um, in a weird way, this is sort of like the danger that crops up when you start uh, thinking about fantasy races along these sorts of lines, um, because it is kind of like an inherently dehumanizing thing, right? Um, so for like a WoW example, let's say, you know, trolls are co coded Jamaican, right? Um, or Torin are coded Native American, right? And uh, and so there is this, there is now a, a system in which kind of Western European, like medieval Western Europe is represented by the term human and humans, right? And then you have other cultures that are also human that are being represented as other races. And the argument is kind of that those things um, would be considered bad. Uh, I, I'm not a personal, like, I, I understand where that argument comes from. And I kind of have like a lot of sympathy for it in a lot of ways, but I actually think that it kind of falls short. I've talked about this before where something can be kind of so removed from our reality that it doesn't really, you know what I mean? That it's just kind of so obviously not something to be taken allegorically. Um, and therefore is not that bad. Right? Like, I don't think, I don't think the idea that trolls are, you know, like the, like the Jamaican culture in World of Warcraft is represented by the troll race. I don't really think that that fuels um, racism against Jamaicans or against, you know, African-Americans or something along those kinds of lines um, in the way that it kind of is suggested by, by that line of thinking, right? Like I can understand in certain kinds of contexts um, where things are more closely aligned, uh, but in the... Um, once you once you get far enough out, I don't. I think it's effectively harmless. Uh, I, I I feel that. Um, although something I, I I like to to kind of muse on a little bit that's kind of related is, um, like, if you're using the term race, racism in Pathfinder is in a lot of and D and D is in a lot of ways correct. Yeah. Like, um, there are races of things that are evil, and you are correct and. You, you are correct and praised for assuming that they are evil and killing them on sight, which is kind of like an uncomfortable thing if you if you if you stop and think about it for a moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, the um, the I think WoW navigates around this pretty quickly uh, or yeah. pretty deftly because most of the races have been kind of like given their own side, you know, um, damn quill bores. Like, yeah, I mean, like even even the even in the context of, um, you know, the the Horde and the Alliance, right? Like Warcraft 3 is this big redemption arc for the orcs, essentially, um, and kind of like bringing them back from this kind of like Warhammer-y, Tolkien-y, you know, brink or whatever. And it's kind of a subversion of those kinds of tropes. And so when you're able to, this is kind of another piece of why I think essentially races in WoW are pretty harmless because um, they are always things that you, like they are effectively things that you can, um, that you can kind of like play and experience. Um, hypothetically, sure, gnomes and kobolds and gnolls and stuff like that. But I can't think of a single one of those races that is like explicitly tied to a human culture um, in like a, in like a negative sort of, uh, in like a negative sort of context. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think, I think I, uh, I, I agree with that. 
And I also think that Pathfinder um, and uh, and D and D get around some of this stuff, right? Um, in the sense that there are a lot of playable uh, races, ancestries, you know, what have you, sort of thing um, that kind of give like a positive light, like you know, the fact that we can play tieflings um, or like drow and stuff like that. Um, but I do think that the kind of definition of this this kind of like falls into like the morality stuff that comes into the um, the alignments, but like the definition of evil is so much more clear cut uh, in the context of the Pathfinder world that like, yeah, it is pretty easy to justify, uh, racism against orcs, know, whatever orcs. Right. Um, because they are so demonstrably evil. Right. And they are like by, you know, like, and, and th there is also like this biological aspect of it where, uh, you know, orcs get minus, you know, or I guess half orcs, get kind of human traits or whatever right but like the fact that there are systems gov governing racial traits suggests that there is some biology to it where you know yeah dwarves are wiser than goblins are or whatever you know what i mean um and uh and like if you start pulling if you if you start kind of thinking about it and extrapolating it out for that kind of stuff like it gets it gets pretty hairy pretty quickly yeah um i i think i think a part of it that that kind of also saves it is that like there aren't kind of the clear racial associations um uh across like like with with the D, D races like the 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 one that has the i guess the clear association is maybe dwarfs but like it's not like scottish people have like a reputation for being short and minors um yeah um, and like uh, other other creatures, I don't think have those same kind of associations, right? Like, yeah, something in something like in WoW, the the coding is much much closer. Yeah. Um, for for the playable races uh, versus uh, or also like the Elder Scrolls, you know what I mean? Like uh, the uh, the Khajiit are pretty are coded as Romani. Yeah. Um, I would say in a pretty clear way, Nord um, with the uh scandinavian yeah cultures and stuff like that so there is there is a little bit of this but in traditional D D and in pathfinder i feel like uh that bullet gets dodged yeah I, I feel like dwarves and elves in general kind of avoid it um just because they were like so like tolkien defined them so early and like they don't have a lot of uh and like he he managed to dodge the bullet early on and so and every, and every elf and every dwarf is a tolkien dwarf or elf uh, for better or for worse. Yeah. And um, I also, th I mean, Tolkien also basically said that he thinks allegory is dumb and stupid. Um, <laughs> and that this kind of, in fact, I mean, part of, part of what we're reacting to is there was a column on, uh, on, uh, that we reference sometimes on the rank and the angry GM website where he talks about kind of like making races and cultures work for you. And his essential point is that you want to make your races pretty archetypal because they are uh, kind of like narrative shorthand for you, right? You can just kind of say, this is a dwarf merchant and you give him a kind of stock dwarven accent and here are some traits that you associate and you can bundle all of that stuff for your players just into the dwarf of him you know what i mean and that's like a useful kind of economic uh tool and while i kind of understand that um i think tolkien's races are really interesting because they are forging new ground um as opposed to kind of like referential ground which is what the the angry gm is kind of advocating for um 
And I think that there is the, that one of the cool things to do with races uh, and with cultures in Dungeons and Dragons is to explore races and cultures that aren't archetypal, right? That that don't exist because they exist in the context of a fantasy setting where you can say, you know, the Rahadumi are atheists, but they're not atheists because they doubt the existence of God. They are atheists because they um, they they don't like divine power and the very real gods that they all agree exists influence on themselves. You know what I mean? That's a culture that can't exist uh, in the real world, right? And I like that there is there's a space to kind of explore what these philosophical ideas look like, you know what I mean, like outside of the context of our cultures. Yeah, so so I I think the the point I think it's a little bit more salient that comes out of the article um, and I'll link it in the description for for everyone to read is not necessarily that you can't do something. I, I think he pretty strongly advocates that like any of the traditional stuff should be the traditional versions. Um, but I think the bigger point is that um, basically every member of that race has to be as close to stereotype as possible um, in order to drive home what that race is. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a little bit more valid. And I think um, in terms of like, you know, uh, like letting a player play off kind off stereotype, you need to constantly throw that into relief against things uh, against like examples of that race that are typical. They're kind of like uh, you're weird. Um, in order to, uh, in in order to kind of like highlight what that race is, and I, I think the way he puts it is like if you don't do that, everybody quickly just becomes like a human that you forget what their race is. And I, I think that that's, that's, that's pretty valid. Yeah. I, in a way, I, I think that uh, there's kind of this spectrum that almost gets like created there, which is like on one end, you have the narrative utility of efficiency, which is kind of like archetypal. Um, and then you have the kind of exploration space on the other end, right? Where you lose efficiency because you have to explain this stuff to your players, right? And they don't always want to sit down for like big exposition dumps or whatever. Um, but also at the same time, right? Like it keeps things from feeling kind of generic and like stereotyping, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure the angry GM would find maybe like, like he would probably argue with me about the, this kind of characterization. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like, cause I feel like the answer is there's some, somewhere in the middle, right? There are, you know, certain things that should just be those things in the context, you know what I mean? Like very expected dwarves are dwarves and they behave like dwarves or whatever, because they're not a focus and you need to just kind of like get get to the other side of things right um but even the, but the angry gm also talks about how like break you know like if you want to break from that you have to spend a lot of time on it and i think that that's valuable time to spend and i wouldn't want to uh like like in fact i actually think that that's very necessary to keep the interest in the game out and and make it feel kind of like unique and flavorful outside of just um you know like your the collection of uh generic fantasy races right like this is like the Greyhawk setting you know where it's like there's nothing there's kind of nothing to grab onto because everything is kind of rote and tropey I, I, th I think I see your point um I'm not sure how much I agree but I I, I can't think of uh of, of a good thing to 
to, to kind of rail against. So I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll leave it. Um, what What is the negative case to that sort of? Um, I, I guess I'm agreeing with the Angry GM's premises. Um, I just think that he's kind of missing a thing that says, you know, that you should take the time and make unique and interesting stuff that is kind of against the grain in that in that sense um, because communicating uh, like communicating efficiency to the player isn't the only thing that matters necessarily I like I think if everything is efficient it is not uh, it's okay. not as engaging so I I I can I see your point um the thing I would be careful about is in order for something that's di- like the time that you have to build isn't just the time to build that character out right it's also the time you have to build to establish the normal so that the fact that this this character is an exception stands out if that right. makes sense right yeah. like like dwarves and elves i think there's enough kind of cultural context like cultural understanding around it you don't have to do it too hard um and you and you you could kind of point out an unusual dwarf kind of on, on like you know like arbitrarily but like the Rahadumi, right, in, in, in the, especially your land in Rahadumi, right? I think you need strong kind of examples of very typical Rahadumi before you come up with a, an atypical, uh, an, an, an atypical one, um, to kind of drive home that, 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 uh, uh, that 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 character is is actually unusual, right? Like I yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I I think I think player characters get a pat. Like I don't think Rakax like Rakax isn't a atypical Rahadumi in 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 a lot of ways. Um, but I don't think that he suffers for. I think like player characters can get by on being a little different, or like main characters, I guess, um, without as much uh, establishment. But if like the first. Rahadumi we saw that wasn't Rakax was kind of a normal dude. It was also an exception. You'd kind of like lose the fact that, that they are a very distinct culture and the fact that all the Rahadumi that we've seen so far have been very typical, reinforced Rakax's character, and they kind of need to be. You can't have... I don't think there's room in Hell's Rebels for an unusual Rahadumi at least any time, uh, at, at least like soon, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really what I'm advocating is that like... It might be hard and story intensive to do that stuff, but I think that it is necessary to do it in a couple of places, right? For Hell's Rebels, right, specifically that stuff has taken place with the orcs, um, the Kolkari orcs, and Rahad, and like the Leonin um, with like Rahad Doom, right? But like if we had a halfling in the party, we would probably be talking a lot more about like halfling slavery, right? That That's taking place in like Ravenel and stuff like that. Right. Uh, or if there was, you know, a dwarf in the party, right, there might be more to the interaction between, you know, uh, Chaliax and I guess the, the five kings, whatever that whatever that kind of country is. In the same way that, like, there's a lot of interaction between the elves and Kionin because of Alaric. Right. OK, um, that's that's. Fair. And so and so in a way, I guess I've almost kind of created a priority where it's like, here are a couple of races that we're going to focus a lot on and we're going to put a lot of that effort into um, in order to, you know, break the archetypes a little bit and make them a little bit different from the norm and stuff like that. And um, and then here are the one here are the other races. Right. Which we're just going to kind of let go and we're going to use them for efficiency's sake. Does that make sense? It does. I, I'm also not convinced that you have to do that. 
Like, I think that you can tell a perfectly fine story in a very stereotypical world um, and, and have it and have it work for you. Um, I think that, like, the perspective you're bringing is someone who's been playing Pathfinder for 10 years, right? Um, and so, like, maybe that feels a little bit more necessary in order to keep things fresh for a more veteran group of players. Um, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's strictly necessary. Yeah, I guess I don't know that it's strictly necessary because I think you can create. Well, I do think it is. So, so uh, from a world building perspective, I think something has to be necessary in a way in order to differentiate yourself from kind of like the norm. But and you but could probably why? fill in there because I because I I think that. That's a bad setting, otherwise. But like, unless why? You, unless like, you can... What was wrong with with the stereotypical kind of proto medieval setting that that most fantasy finds itself in? Because it's too it, it is it's that stereo it is, it is that stereotyping. Like I think you need to I think you need to have something kind of like unique or uh, like you, it, to add like texture. Otherwise, it kind of is too. Like frictionless, if that makes sense. And I, but but the point I'm making is that you can find that texture in places that aren't necessarily races and cultures. Um, and the big example I can think of is like religion. You know what I mean? Like there are different, uh, there are different spaces for like maybe all of your races are are stereotypical, but you do something interesting or complex, kind of with your uh, with like religions here right? yeah i, I don't i don't Do you know, know if I mean? like maybe you could find another maybe you could find another sort of spot to to create that to create that texture i don't, I don't know if i buy that i don't i don't know if 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 i feel like you you can't just like i think that the fan the 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 kind of fantasticalness of like the base fantasy setting can can go a long way and and, and i i don't think that you, you necessarily need anything more for like i i could see it working regardless um you know, I, I will say that I'm thinking in the context of campaigns, maybe in, in like for one shots and stuff like that, because efficiency is everything in a one shot. You, I think that makes sense. And for smaller, you know, like if you're only going to do a couple of things, right? Yeah. I, I, man, I feel like it would be. I don't know. I feel like it would get really kind of. Uninteresting I, so so I, if I, you were doing a campaign, I feel like the difference is is once you get to a camp like. There are certain things that aren't, like, just aren't set by the generic setting that will come out eventually if you run a long enough campaign, right? Like, it's not just going to be planes with, ca like, 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 planes with castles on them and that's it. Like, at some point you have to, like, build in some level of, like, well, the king is this and there's no, like, static king, right? Like, it's not like you can use, like, I don't know, King Bob who's always there, right? Like, it has to be, like somebody who has unique personality in some way and that puts texture into your world. I think it kind of builds it necessarily. And I'm not I'm not saying that's that it can't that it is not worth it to do these things that you're talking about in other places. I'm just saying I don't think it's strictly necessary. Uh I think what you're actually describing is kind of the is kind of like the the inevitable necess like necessity of it in a way. Like like over like I agree with you that over time most settings become do this right like over time most settings like get there um because you are you just kind of have to improvise you know like you you might have to like improvise something like i i don't know that 
maybe this is just maybe it's not even a necessity maybe it's just not even possible right where if you play a long enough game eventually you'll get there yeah right? i i just i i can't like i can't think of a fully realized campaign setting that is so generic that it meets this definition of of being <laughs> uninteresting right like yeah, yeah um unless you like refuse to define anything like Oh, there's a king. You don't know who he is, but there's a king. And even and even when you do that, at some level, it becomes like absurd to the level that it, that it, that it takes on the texture of like being generically absurd, right? Like, um, but yeah, uh, <sighs> yeah. So I yeah, yeah. I I kind of feel like this is just like bound to happen. Yeah. In which case, I kind of feel like the argument is now to become to to say this is going to happen anyway. You should be proactive about it rather than just kind of like let it happen naturally. Um, and like, and I think that thinking about these things is good and people should feel good about thinking about these things. So that's, I guess that's, that's kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I, I, <laughs> I don't really think about it in those kinds of terms, but now that we've talked about it, I feel better about it. Yeah. Um, so something I wanted to bring up is this idea that I've heard both for the angry dream and other places that of uh, the idea of splitting um, ancestry and culture. And I, I, I think that this is a, a, a particularly good idea, right? Like this is the difference between like having plus two to wisdom or plus two to intelligence and dexterity um, and being proficient with a, a long bow and a long sword, um, both of which are, are elven things um, and that, or like dark vision or whatever. Like these are things that like um, for so long, the cultural aspects and the uh, the kind of inherent aspects of of, uh, of 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 races have been wrapped up into one thing, and I, I think it I think that separating those things out um, could be useful and fun in a lot of ways. Um, uh, of course, uh, the, the the there's a discussion to be had about how much like one restricts the other, right? Like if you're restricted to a subset of stuff, but I, I think that th that's a powerful idea. Um, that leads to like better character definition and whatnot. What, what do you have any thoughts? Huh? Um, my initial, huh? Yeah. See, cause kind of my initial thought is almost like how much do we even want to talk about? Well, I don't know. I guess stuff like, like dark vision. Yeah. I guess I'm kind of on board with this. The, the danger here feels like min maxing to me where you have, you know, a bunch of human with goblin culture or something because there's, like, some, like, wonky benefit to it or whatever. Um, but that's a balance question more yeah. than it is, like, a design question. Um, and uh, I also don't know how much I like the idea of kind of, like, normalizing that sort of, like, cross-cultural sort of thing um, in the sense that, like, I kind of feel like I want the baseline for dwarves in my campaign to, like, default to dwarf. Um, whereas when you say these two things are kind of split apart, it encourages people not to go dwarf-dwarf in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It no, I, them to go, like, dwarf-elf. And so, like, maybe as, like, an alternate rule set or something along those sorts of lines where, like, the base rule set is this, but if you want to, you know, like, if, if your character specific, like, 
So essentially what I'm arguing is it's, this isn't something for the core rule book. It's something for like the advanced races guide or something like that. Where like I can go to my GM and say, hey, listen, I have this really neat concept for, you know, a halfling raised by elves. Right. And you might want to kind of like split those things up a bit. Um, yeah, so so I, I, I don't know. I, I think I see your point and I don't think I'd want it to be like pure freeform. Like I think the way that this takes that this that this uh, kind of like splits out is like. Like, maybe you have a couple different, um, uh, cultures, um, per race, and, like, you also give non-humans the ability to pick kind of the human culture, which represents growing up in, like, a cosmopolitan city. Oh, my um, God, no, you could do it with feats. You know what I mean? Like, maybe you do okay, something like, yeah. you say, like, okay, so as a, as a biological dwarf, you can take dwarf culture, human culture, and, like half-orc culture or something like that, right? But if you wanted to take elven culture, you have to take a feat for it. And that's your level one feat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I feel like that, that would kind of get across, uh, that would, like, get get across the finish line. Yeah, I... Yeah? I... I don't know. Um, That or, like, something like... Like a background... Like, backgrounds have small mechanical benefits in 5e. And I could see something like... You can either have, like a regular background or the background that is like adopted or something. And that could also get you across that, that finish line. Cause most people are just going to pick a typical background. Um, uh, I, I, I think you, uh, I, I think that can get you there. Um, although I, I do think, I think there's, there's, there's a, a kind of, um, min maxi danger that, that you, that you kind of brought up. And I, I think is, is valid outside of the balancing reasons because, like, it's not that you can't make any of those choices balanced. It's just that, like, for a certain archetype of character, some combination is going to be optimal, and it's not going to matter, kind of, if those align. Um, if that makes sense, uh, right? Like, like, you know, let's say that the best, uh, the best uh, archer is like a, a an elf raised in goblin culture or something right um then everybody's going to kind of naturally gravitate towards that even if it's not particularly unbalanced right like it's just like a little bit better um it's just that's it's a kind of like like any any minor edge people take i i i think that's a a real concern um um but i i, I think uh kind of i i, I think uh that's kind of a like th this kind of like the uh, background slash feet trait thing is a good way around that because I think you kind of almost want going cross culture to be kind of expensive to make it like a real kind of role play draw. Yeah, yeah. Um, but not too expensive because you don't want to like make someone think they can't do it because of because of the cost. I don't know. It's it's it's, it's a tough thing. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> I am I am of two minds because I do think that there needs to be kind of some barrier or else you'll get a lot of like cuz cuz I also think to a certain extent this is something that's useful for uh like the other players in a in a group, right? Yeah. Um so like if I know, you know what I mean, like if I know that one somebody is a dwarf, I kind of think that it's reasonable for the other players in the party to just assume that they are dwarves. Um but there comes a time where if everyone is a race disconnected from that racial culture, that becomes problematic pretty quickly. Um, 
because then all of a sudden it because then it's it's there's a lot of hard this is like the what the angry gm is talking about like there's a lot of like work yeah. that goes into keeping up with what everybody's relationships with you know their 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 races and their cultures kind of like end up um end up kind of being yeah and and, and i i think by like li- like limiting it because like i i think limiting it solves most of the problem right like I think this really kind of speaks to the idea that, like, there are cosmopolitan versions of all of the fantasy races that have lived in a city with humans um, that don't necessarily have kind of the the, the cultural, um, uh, the, the the cultural kind of backing of their uh, home race. Like the the big one, the big ones are like the half orcs and the half elves, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they can very easily have either been living with humans or living with half or living with elves or maybe even living in like a community of half elves, which probably, which is an opportunity for its old kind of like uh culture stakeout that, that, that isn't quite established yet. Same thing with, with yeah. half works. Um, and I think kind of like limiting, like, you know, having a cot, like I think elves have like the, the kind of tree hippie version and like the arcane scholar version. Yeah. Like high elves and wood elves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and stuff like that where like, you know, you pro like by splitting it out in kind of those ways, you don't have to worry about the the kind of um, uh, the kind of inherent differences, which is like where you get your stats and your dark vision from. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think that maybe you could just make this a feat in general. Like you could just have like a dwarven heritage feat or something that like gives you all of the you know like the the cultural dwarf racial traits or whatever. But you kind of get both. If that makes sense, yeah. I mean, because that's I, kind of... even outside of like the most, like outside of the most kind of like Mowgli situations, right? Or like whatever, where like you are being raised entirely outside of your culture. I kind of feel like you still deserve like all of your cultural racial traits, um, just from the perspective of like people will treat you like your culture, even if you are not. You know what I mean? Like sure. Even if you're uh, not there. So, so the example the angry GM uses in the, the latest episode of Digressions of Dragons is that, like, like an elf, um, like orphan who grows up in a human city, probably it makes no sense for that person to have gotten training with a long bow and a long sword, um, because those one those are expensive weapons and two he's not living among people who would have taught him that kind of thing, and I think that's like, like like that kind of like, like is a good snapshot into I think a legitimate case for this. Um, so it'd be, yeah, but to me, that's less about him growing up in a, in a human culture and more him growing up an orphan. Do you know what I mean? Because, so to put it this way, like, let's say I'm like, I'm a, let's say like I'm an elf, you know, like I, I'm the son of an elf noble and I am a hostage in a human kingdom or whatever. Right. Well, when they take me out to train, you know, like when the man at arms takes me out to train me, sure. He's going to train me with the human stuff. But, you know, he might treat me like an elf, and he might train me with a longbow and a longsword because he knows I'm an elf, you know what I mean? And so, like, sure. there are ways that someone could get their culture delivered to them outside of just living inside of their culture, you know what I mean? Which is kind of the the, the argument between – or for, like, heritage feats where you get both, right? Where you would say, okay, you're going to get another set of racial traits, and there's – and you're going to pay with that. You're going to pay for that with a feat. Right. Yeah, and, and you can get it one time at like level one or something. I I think that's actually kind of what Pathfinder Two is looking to do with 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 its stuff because like, I think you do get a, a heritage feat at level one for free, and that's like 
some of the more cultural aspects. So I think they're kind of embracing that. If, if I remember my my Paiso blog correctly, yeah, I uh, think that that is a really smart idea. To be honest yeah. with you, because because I also think that this is stuff that you can like learn later on to a certain extent. Um, like you might have something that's like, um, you know, at the at the end of uh, like at level ten or something, there's like a story reward where everybody gets you know like you've defended like the dwarven kingdom and then there's a time skip of two years and everybody gets like the dwarven heritage or something like that, right? Like as a story reward kind of bonus feat sort of uh, sort of thing. Yeah, no, I, I I can definitely see that. Um. Yeah. Um I I also wonder kind of like at the efficacy of something like this. Like I like I I also like this this situation because it systemizes something that is traditionally unsystemized. Um which is like mechanics and like rules and shit like that, right? Like at the end of the day, the most important choice that you make is what class you are. Um, and like most of your power comes from like classes and stuff like that. Um, and I've seen some arguments that are to the effect of, well, you know, race kind of doesn't matter. So just make it cosmetic, right? Like don't really worry about, uh, the mechanical aspect of races because it's just like a minefield or whatever. But I very much disagree with that from the position of, um, the having races be a mechanics, uh, driven system at the same time that it's a lore-driven narrative, right, kind of links those two things in a way that I think should be stronger um, and is typically underrepresented um, in, in, in D&D, where you kind of are, you know, like anybody can be any class sort of things. There are, there are like no class restrictions or anything along those kinds of lines. Um, and so... The, it creates this thing where you're making lots of decisions about your class because of like a character concept that's kind of internally motivated, but you're not really interfacing with the world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and there are some classes that do this more than others, right? Like, you know, maybe you do what Alaric did and you kind of invent lore to surround your character to justify kind of like your class. Okay, that's cool, right? Or maybe, you know, you kind of take the lore that's like built into the character, right? So like, you know, um, uh, a paladin choosing a choosing a deity, right? Like that's something that, that is that is interfacing with the world, right? But if you're a fighter, you know what I mean? Like that could kind of be anything. Um, and that and that is a little bit problematic, I find, um, for getting people to invest themselves, like, into, like, the world and, like, the goings-on, um, like, of the world. And so putting some of that more positively onto races, I think, will end up being a, a net positive because it really forces people to engage not just with, like, the systems, right? Because when you, when you start making races more uh, kind of, like, meaningful um, from a systems perspective you you kind of have this effect uh but by but specifically by like drawing the two of them together yeah no i i i, I think i agree with you um i i think that having some sort of mechanical bit tied to it is important for kind of like like feeling like you're like like feeling the impact of of, of that choice um even if it's if it's in a little way um kind of uh related actually um i just kind of want to kind of entered my head because of because it's something that occurred to me like 
A game like Wildstar, race doesn't matter except for your ability, except for your class selection. Um, I believe that uh, the effects of race in Final Fantasy XIV are very minimal, and in World of Warcraft, they're not they're they're not big, but they're they're still like at least an active ability and a couple of little things. Um, in, in in terms of that, how how do you how do you feel about um, those mechanics as they tie to characters in MMOs? Because MMOs, I think, have a it large depends to be kind of try and flatten those out for balance reasons. Um, yeah, I feel like MMOs have to flatten them out for balance reasons, but they have a huge benefit, which is uh, like a visual input, right? Like I can choose a race based on its casting animations um, or because I have a particular set of armor that looks really good on them or something kind of along those uh, something kind of along those lines uh like yeah there are more blood elves than any other race in the game because the blood elves have the best racial in the game right and when humans had the best racial in the games there was you know like there were more humans than any other race um sort of thing so like systems definitely like interact with that sort of thing um but i do like but like what like wow and other video games have the benefit of cause of uh, a, an immediate kind of cosmetic impact right which pathfinder lacks um, like outside of something like your miniature i've definitely gotten kind of satisfaction from having uh you know like a good mental image of my character right but i think that you have to kind of compensate for the lack of that like you know constant visual input um by adding in a by like adding in like this systems driven uh kind of integration do you know what i mean uh yeah, I, 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 I think I do. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Um, and so, uh, and I, and, you know, and I think that in a way that is kind of like a piece of it. Like, there's kind of an unwritten racial on all characters that it's like, and also you get to be cosmetically this. You know what I mean? And that matters to, you know, like, and that matters to players as evidenced by like fucking like loot box bullshit with skins and shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, people care about, you know displaying themselves with the uh with the skin that they want and in something like wow right that is a um that's like a big benefit that i feel like would otherwise that, that that's a big benefit that counts but isn't listed in their list of racials do you know what i mean yeah 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 i mean hell we we, we talked about about whether or not bill among would race change to a zandalari troll from a regular troll Right, yeah. and... Yeah, know. I mean, and, you know, like, obviously, like, our peers uh, have... have Like, maybe I'm a little bit biased because I roleplay, and so I'm interfacing with the lore kind of at a much higher rate than, than a typical player. Um, but I think typical players still do this kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think... Uh, like, even before I, I was uh, an our peer, I was making these kinds of decisions um about what race i wanted to play plus there's also a little stuff like you know like obviously like race class combos you know the first class i wanted to play was a warlock and so i chose undead because i couldn't play warlock with any other race um but yeah you know i i, I in a way i think there's kind of um there's like that system like there's this like debate that didn't really ever take place, but like it's kind of weirdly referenced, like ludology versus narratology, where it's like games are systems and they should be treated as systems first and foremost. And then maybe if there's a narrative, okay, who cares? Versus games are, you know, uh, like like communicative media and they should be treated as communicative media, right? And I think that that's a dumb, I think that's like a dumb binary. But in a certain sense, that that is a little bit of what we're addressing in a way. It's right. kind of like in Hearthstone, 
cards do what cards do, how come they have names and art and sounds and stuff like that? And it's because that stuff actually matters. That stuff actually counts. Um, and, uh, and kind of helps people grab onto like, like if there, if there is any argument that I have that says that like, you need to make your world, um, like textress or whatever to kind of go back to this, it is, it is that idea. I don't think anybody would play a, uh, I don't think anybody would play a version of Hearthstone where there's no card art, there's no like animations or any of that other kind of stuff. Like if it was all just mechanics, Right, I think people would play that version of Hearthstone much less than the version of Hearthstone where there is lore, essentially. Hell, Magic the Gathering Online has at least a card art, and people like, and they're making MTG Arena to kind of address that exact thing. Um, so I, I think I think okay, you're pretty uh, solid there. To take a quick break, something um, happened to your mic where you dropped like an octave. <laughs> Okay, I have another point that I wanted to talk about, which is the degree to which min-maxing is a problem for, like, races and, like, racials and stuff like that. Uh, because this is something that we've actually seen a little bit before in the terms of the Leonin race that I created, right? And I created a fairly martial race, right? Like, that is built for, it, it gives you plus to strength. Um, you are a bigger creature, you are typed as large, even though you are sized as medium, um, for the purposes of stuff like, uh, um, uh, yeah, like, uh, and, and specifically damage rolls, right? Like your damage die bumps, um, because of that, right? Um, and so obviously if I'm going to make a, you know what I mean? Like if I'm going to make like a hard hitting two-hander paladin, right? All of a sudden the Leonin looks a pretty good, right? Like as, as a pretty good race um, to uh, to play as. Do you think I did? And, and this is something that I, that I opted into kind of purposefully, right? Like do you think I did the right thing by kind of implicitly valuing certain classes over others through their racial abilities. So I don't think that that's necessarily a thing that's bad. I, I think it's okay to encourage certain classes. What I, I, I think the, the issues that you can run to is one, um, making, uh, a certain combination unplayable, which is like the dwarf and sorcerer problem. And the other side of that is making your race, the kind of end of the day best choice for a certain style of play, which I think you get close to and might even hop over with the increased damage die for size. That being because there's like very few other ways to get that advantage and getting it that way, getting it through your race is kind of huge. Like, like just having a plus two to strength or even having like a plus four to strength and like a, you know, minus two somewhere else as your main reachability. I don't think makes that so insurmountable. Um, although plus four, I think might get pretty close just the way that, that stat scaling works in Pathfinder. Um, but that damage die is definitely a thing that I think makes you like, that's really dangerous if that makes sense. Right. Um, but I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with encouraging a set of classes with your, uh, racial skills, uh, or your, your racial kind of, powers no yeah i mean we've talked we've talked about this in the context of starfinder before we're like yeah you can be a dwarven sorcerer if you want sort of thing um 
and I do. I guess I do kind of. It's it's tough because you want to almost kind of create a baseline where it's like there is baseline utility no matter what. And maybe if you're in a certain subset of classes, that makes sense for the culture, right? Like obviously, um, uh, like I created a whole thing for Cavaliers uh, that that's kind of like a reflection of like a certain kind of like culture. And I changed the way paladins work as like a reflection of that culture because like, you know, it like this is something that Leonin typically are, right? In the same way that dwarves typically are clerics and they have that plus two whiz or elves typically are rangers and they have that plus two dex kind of thing, right? Um, but you want, it, you want to kind of create like a utility baseline where any race can be anything, right? And then a utility bump, um, for the kind of select few, but sometimes it's hard to, to, to tell you're doing that one way or the other, right? Um, and in the way that we've talked about when it comes to kind of like penalties or whatever, right? Like if you're a dwarf and you get that penalty to your charisma, that makes it really tough for you to be a dwarf sorcerer. You know what I mean? Um, and so navigating which things feel like penalties or which things feel like buffs, um, uh, or like little bonuses, right? Like that's, that's not quite so clear cut, I would say. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I would agree 100%. Um, yeah, um, I, I think it takes a, a careful, and I, I think, again, part of it is that like, depending on the system, you need to kind of balance what's available. Like, like the biggest thing is availability, right? Like if there are some things that you can only get through your race and those things are kind of like, like it's it's hard to get dark vision or low light vision outside of your race, but those things aren't so invaluable as to make their they're like like picking one of them necessary, right? Like it's not like I would ever say you need to be like a a a dark vision race to be a rogue, right? Like humans can work well enough in the shadows that that's not really a problem. Um, but I could see like a version of the rules where being in the dark without dark vision is so debilitating that a human can't really effective stick to it without a light source and thus negates their ability to be a rogue that you would kind of mandate that dwarves are, are, are like the only rogues or whatever, right? Or something like that. Um, and I think that, that, that depends on the system. And I think that's a thing to keep in mind when you're building a system. And I think to keep in mind when you're like, building kind of like content for like the existing system of Pathfinder and D and D is, is stuff like that. Um, yeah, but I, um, yeah, no, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, it's just a hard thing to get over that, that damage die bump is, is I really think that that's like the, the biggest single misstep in, 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 in that kind of like, lane and continuum because the way they solve it in pat in starfinder rather is that there's no weapon sizing changes to damage uh and so there's there's no kind of issue there um in fact i think that like in base pathfinder this is this is kind of an issue because um like i, I don't think you can effectively play like a big big brute hitter as one of the small races but maybe that's kind of the point um i just think that like like because because there's only two of them, that, that dichotomy is kind of okay, like medium versus small. Um, but, like, throwing larger the mix, I think, would would squash a lot of, of kind of, uh, of of what I would call, like, like, like legitimate preservable fantasy. Um, 
like things that you want to make sure are still in the game, right? Like if you had like even if you had like five different large races um that got that damage boost on the damage die, um, I think kind of like the the two hander the, the two handed human warrior kind of gets shoved out for the uh for like the, the you know like the, the, the half giant that does that. Um uh, just because damage die scaling is weird in the first place. Like, yeah, yeah. I really understand why damage die scaling exists, but it does kind of create problems. Yeah. Um, and, it, it's, and, and, you know, even if you say that, like, well, the, the numbers aren't actually that different, I think that's less of a problem than kind of, like, the perception of the of a problem that will lead people to, to making choices based around, uh, based around um, of not, you know, a... a, a uh, choosing the bigger races just because also i think there's there's this weird kind of because small and medium creatures take up the same space there's less of a problem um like like the, like being large has has so much else diff that's different about it yeah how does that interact with with starfinder for you um because there's so much ranged combat it hasn't been really a problem yet there's been a lot of like squeezing um, that's been a problem because, like, not really a problem, problem, but like a thing that's happened where, like, you know, uh, Dragor and uh, and Octavian are kind of like squeezing down passages that are like that everybody else is kind of walking through. But it's not really been a uh, a huge problem because um, because it, like, the game is so ranged. Um, there's 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 less. It's less about kind of controlling space with with reach and whatnot, and it's more about kind of just like being in places uh if that makes sense um uh, but yeah it, it has i i could see it being a problem in like a, a really enclosed space and in fact like i think maybe jimmy's hand waving a little bit too much of it for some for some of the more interior spaces um uh maybe he's not waving it too much maybe 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 he needs to hand wave it because like the the disadvantage that squeezing confers and you're supposed to be balanced out by the advantages that being large have but we don't really have any of those mm -hmm. um i feel like the i feel like the map gets pretty restrictive for for large sized creatures i feel this in hell's rebels with jimmy's pets mm -hmm. because his animal companions are large sized yeah yeah and i mean that's that's like always been like you know that's always been the case with like horses as well and i think that starfinder has the potential to not need to have those problems but i think at least for this first adventure it was clear that like there's no large creatures in the base book and even though there are like player races like no large player creatures in in the in the base book but and even though there are a bunch of them in the alien archive and whatnot um i don't think this first adventure path necessarily took that into account um, but hopefully moving forward, they, they will, um, uh, uh, do you think, so speak kind of in that vein, do you think Pathfinder 2 should handle race the same kind of like way that Starfinder does? I only say that because Starfinder, Starfinder, um, as, as the devs have said, um, like playing like weird races is kind of like one of the big joys of sci-fi. Um, well, I think the, um, kind of. Like, you could easily model a lot of those systems into Pathfinder 2e. I don't think that th that that kind of draw is as strong in fantasy. 
And I think if, like, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I could see a compelling reason to say, no, you don't need as much flexibility and you you buy something else with that. Like, maybe, like, stronger uh, racial identity that you just don't have the time to flesh out for, um, uh, like, a, a ton of other races that you get in, like, the, the, the three points that you get in Starfinder. What do you think? I think the plethora of races is much more a science fiction fantasy than it is a... Um, fantasy 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 i kind of walked into that one um and i actually think that this is because like the the roots of uh like a lot of that is star wars right like when you walk into the cantina and there's like a million different dudes and the wolf man um, of all yeah there's a wolf man and there's like you know what the fuck is is that guy and all this other kind of stuff like i think that 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 helps sell this like vast galaxy Right. Um, whereas I actually feel like the Tolkien fantasy is just a handful of races, and you don't go crazy with them. Um, in fact, I almost sort of think um, uh, I almost sort of think that there's kind of like there's like a number of races, whatever you know number that is, um, w and you should kind of want to like keep it around there if that makes sense. Um, which isn't to say that the world in general needs to be. Uh, restricted right like i think galarian has like a bazillion different races but i think that that's fine um really what i'm saying is that like from a narrative perspective kind of thing you want to keep like your your scope smaller because right. otherwise you kind of like run away with things a little bit too much um it's kind of normal to walk into a cantina in the galaxy and every single person that's in there is a different race you know what i mean like that's part of the fantasy um but when you do that in pathfinder right all of a sudden that kind of like begs some questions right like why yeah i, I think part of that is that science, science fiction kind of has like like the culture tends to be more like regional not regional but like the, the culture tends to be more like profession based almost right yeah. like there, there are like different like racial aspects to it but most of it's kind of like like the like Bounty hunters are more like other bounty hunters than they are necessarily like, say, diplomats of the same race. Yeah. Uh, in terms of. Yeah, I, it, for, I actually agree with you. I think it is much more normal for something to walk into a tavern in Pathfinder and find humans, but one of every class. You know what I mean? Uh, whereas when you walk into the cantina in Star Wars, those all feel like rogues, but they're one of every race. Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and you know, maybe not. Not technically, but yeah, like you know, like maybe maybe they're all like so you know, like there's a bounty hunter and there's like yeah, yeah. A, a a thug and there's like a thief, but like you know, they're all, they're all that kind of like same class of character, which gets contrasted by the Jedi and the young kid. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that's that's definitely true. Um, <sighs> but. So I guess yeah. to sum, to sum it all up, my perspective on races is it's something that you should take seriously and something you should consider um, in in RPG settings um, like you know like like Pathfinder, right? Like I I think that uh, it's a really good way to I guess engage people with the game itself overall, and sometimes that engagement is personal, um, and sometimes it is. Uh, uh, kind of like group based, um, but it, but I uh, but yeah, I think it's I don't know I think it's important to to think about. Yeah, I I think I'd agree. I I think that um, I think that the the important parts is that they need to be there. They need to be kind of like strongly archetyped, and they need to be 
uh, and then they and they kind of need to be present mechanically as well. Like you, you, you need those dif- differences there, and they are good, and they are important, and they are and they are useful for world building and whatnot. Um, yeah. So yeah. how's your week? How's uh, how's your life going? Life's going uh pretty all right. What did I do this week? I <laughs> tell tell me all about it. Let me be your therapist. Uh, well, you know there was that time. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, I played uh, Edith Finch, uh, What Remains of Edith Finch, uh, last week. Um, it is about a two-hour experience. It is a very cool and interesting experience. Um, I don't, given that it is two hours, I don't know if I'd spend more than $10 on it. Um, but that's, like, kind of more of an individual decision as to value proposition. But just know that it, you will be done within about two hours. Um, it is very cool. Um, video Game Donkey has described it as uh, basically the video game version of Gone Home, which I think is the best burn I've ever heard. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Super Bunny Hap has a has a video about the about one of the levels in it that I uh, uh, went back to and I think is 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 spot on. Um, the game does some really interesting stuff. It's not mechanics heavy, but there are mechanics to it. You are actually playing a game at some points. It's not just a walking simulator. Uh, the story's neat. I didn't think it was perfect, but I think, I think it's a very satisfying experience, um, overall. And I would, uh, I would recommend it. Um, the other big thing I got into was a bunch of CK2. Um, Oof. uh, we've... have you been, so we played a multiplayer game of CK2. Uh, have you been playing outside of the context of that multiplayer game? So a little bit. I uh, started up a game where I was the uh, the king of Pomerania. Um, I eventually convert to Taoism, um, wow. and uh, I push to feudalism. But my eldest son dies in uh, in a spear throwing accident, and my second son is married off matrilineally. Um, so I need to execute him so that my third son gets all of the inheritance because um, I'm still under Gavelkind. Uh, so, you know, that's where I'm at. I will be the king of Pomerania, and uh, my second revolting bastard son, who's in the Oubliette, uh, will die by one way it means or another. So, you know, uh, I love CK2. Uh, I just, this is the story, like, I, I understand why, why you prefer EU4. I think that game is a little bit less obtuse in a lot of ways, but I just love kind of like the character, the, the character playing that you get into and kind of like, you know, I am the king of Pomerania. Yeah, that's yeah. the big difference b- between CK2 and EU4, right? Like, I, I, I think I enjoy, like, the strategy brain of mine um, gets into EU4 because it is kind of, like, more, I guess, strategic um, in a, I don't know, in, like, a... I, I don't know. I, I, like, that game is bigger in a way than CK2 does. It doesn't have characters. It has nations, right? Yeah. Um, which I definitely can get into, but I really enjoy how CK2 is character-driven, right? And, like, I do get invested in, like, my, you know, uh, I, I get invested in these characters, like my king and my sons and shit like that. Um, yeah, I, I've, see, it's funny because CK2, I didn't really play much of the base CK2 game. Um, I have, I've played at least one game. I think I played one game somewhere in Spain, like it's Castile or something. And then I played another game, uh, in Scotland, but the most t- time I put into CK2 was in a Game of Thrones mod. Cause it's like so perfect for fucking Game of Thrones. Mm. Yeah. That's a super popular mod too. Um, maybe we'll, we can get into that at, at some point. I'm not a, obviously not a big Game of Thrones guy, but like, I, I don't know. I think I just, I just love, I love everything. 
is kind of about it. I think that, like, EU4, in a way, has, like, a little bit less of kind of, like, these luck things. But I just kind of, like, you can get just get fucked in CK2 by, like, yeah. random shit. And I think that that's fine at a level. Um, because that's kind of what you're going into with this game. It's like, ah, oh, like, like I said, right? Like, my son randomly got killed in, like, a spear-throwing competition. It's like, well, that fucking sucks. Better get on making sure my, my shitty second son fucking dies. Fuck. That was, <laughs> that I mean, my... that, that happened to me in the multiplayer game. God, I was, like, so demoralized by this. Because uh, I wanted, because, uh, like, I had two advisors, and I wanted to switch their spots in the council. So I told them both to resign, right? But then once you kick someone off your council, you can't bring them back on for a certain period of time. And because I kicked them both off right next to each other, right, they formed an, a rebel faction and, like, rose up in revolt against me. And I was so fucking pissed about it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I had a really good run going until then. <laughs> And that that's frustrating because it's like a it's like a interface obtuseness thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we later you you showed me the um yeah, the button. There's a yeah, there's a button for it. Whatever that button is called. You right click on it. It's like change council position, yeah. which is like you can tell that this is them being like, well, this is a problem. We need to fix it. Some yeah, one hundred percent. That got added in like patch like yeah. you know one point five or something like that. Yeah, like I I don't I don't know if you've uh, I don't know if you've actually used it because. Uh, but like it pops up like a one of like an event dialog box and it says like and you pick which position to move them to and it switches to two. It's it is quite clearly like the hackiest thing. Yeah. Um But yeah. Uh but it's it's still it's still fun. It's still great. Uh, I'm gonna become the king of Pomerania. Uh, uh It's funny, Vol I've I've actually like never gotten into those um uh I've never gotten into those HRE kingdoms like those like counts elector counts i think they're called or whatever okay uh but i probably i probably should even in eu4 i always i always like playing like the bigger nations like castile or england or france um so, so, rather than than like uh one, one of the one of the hre nations so, so pomerania is an independent nation it is not is not a, a sub sub kingdom of of the hre um and i was starting in 769 uh, so it's like before a lot of that formation happens. Oh, uh, okay. And even even if you start in 1066, Pomerania is still independent, but it just kind of gets fucked really quickly, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's still it's still neat to kind of clown around in there. I do at some point want to try the uh, you know a, a multiplayer game where we're all play, we all play like counts of like the Holy Roman Empire. And we kind of like yeah, I around. think that's a great idea. To yeah. be honest. Um, uh. But uh, yeah, that's most of my week. Did I did I do anything else notable? Um, I uh, found a bunch of treasure chests on Argus. What about you, buddy? What did you do your, with your week? Uh, I so I've been playing Far Cry Five in preparation for an upcoming episode on Far Cry Five, so I won't talk too much about it. Um, and then I've also been playing. Um, Oh, I've been playing Hearthstone. That's a good one. Yes, we also have yes. I forgot, I forgot about a recording. We have that. an upcoming episode on Hearthstone so, as yeah. well. I've been very much enjoying Baku Warrior. Uh, I, I played, like, part of my heyday in Hearthstone was playing in the Grand Tournament where Jessica Trueheart was released because that was when Control Warrior was pretty strong. Um, and then Jessica Trueheart, you know, upgrades your hero power, makes it give you four armor every turn. And now I can do that from turn one, or I guess turn two, um... 
feels good, man. It feels really good to have like a, a moderately viable warrior deck. Yeah. Um you know, I'm not big into the meta, but I've been enjoying my my uh my Tess Grey main deck, which is just all sorts of fucking bullshit. But uh it's it's a good time. Ooh, can I tell you that I have another deck that I have been having a lot of fun with? Um, specifically, it is a it is a all buff Buffadin deck, which has the because I have the Paladin quest and I have Lanessa Sunsorrow. Right. Uh, the Paladin quest says like target your dudes with six spells to complete the quest. You get Galvadon, uh, Galvadon the last Kaleidosaur. Um, he's not that bad if you don't die turn four. Um, that's a song. You look up that song, you guys. Um, <laughs> Somebody made his song because Galvadon's really bad. But then you also have Lunessa Sunsorrow, um, who when she comes into into play, you recast all the spells that you cast on your individual minions on her. Um, and I had one game against like a, a against a Baku uh, hunter. Um, so he starts the game with a three damage to two two mana deal three damage to the enemy hero. Um, hero power, which is really good, right? And I kind of got past the face part of that, but I was always very low, and so he kept trying to, like, run out the clock. Uh, he kept trying to run out the clock on me by just, like, hitting the button every turn, you know what I mean? And I had a couple of, like, small ways to gain health, um, but I was, uh, but I was like, okay, you know what I mean? Like I've basically stabilized at this point. I'll probably win. Uh, I put Galvadon on the, on the field. He was like a nine, six with like wind fury. Right. And I, and I smashed, uh, I smashed into, um, into the hunter's face twice and got him within lethal. And then the next turn, uh, oh no, something happened. Well, whatever happened, and then and then the next turn I played Lanessa, and I got this massive, you know what I mean, like 12, 24 Lanessa Sunsoro with all these different like spiked steeds and shit on there, or whatever. Uh, and then the hunter played Crushing Walls. Do you know what the spell Crushing Walls does? Oh, is that the one that destroy the left most right most minion? Yeah, and those are the only two minions. So the two best minions in the deck, like the the whole deck is built around these two minions, and with one card he blew them both up. <laughs> and I conceded. It's eyes to so Doomblade, zero out of ten. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was just like insanely depressed. Yeah. No, no. I, I tried Baku Hunter, but I'm playing with like a weird, you know, like old set of cards. And so it, it's done terribly for me. Um, yeah, I actually don't think Baku Hunter is very good, to be honest. Uh, I've seen a bit of play of Baku Hunter, um, and it does not feel quite as good as the original um face hunter yeah I, I think the problem is is that like playing baku just locks out too many good cards um uh you know in that two to four range uh like maybe 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 gen hunter would be better yeah i was actually thinking about gen hunter but i also feel like hunter needs like I don't know. I feel like Hunter, like I, in a way, it's almost kind of tough to do these kind of hero power based decks because aggro is so tempo based um, most of the time. Yeah, yeah. I that, feel that it's like, you know what I mean? Like, why why are you going to build yourself a deck that revolves around um, killing your tempo by using your hero power every turn? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like in a way, I almost think Baku Hunter should be a mid range deck where like the win condition is peppering their face. You know what I mean? But, like, you're playing shit like taunts and stuff like that. You're not yeah, playing, like, yeah, that makes a sense. true blue kind of face hunter. Yeah, that, that, um, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Have you run into any Baku Paladin or Gen Paladin? I've heard those are both real real tough. 
I have not. Um, uh, I, I have played a bunch against, though, so I have, so just kind of in my Tess Grayman adventures, um, playing Tess against other rogues is terrible, and playing Tess against warlocks is fucking god-awful bullshit. Oh, why? Uh, because they have so much shit that, like, discards cards and shit? Um, no, it's just that they don't have, they have a lot of niche cards, and so it's hard to, like, pull something, like, feasible out of their like they're all they're all niche, niche cards that have drawbacks and so it's hard to pull something workable out of that right um also part of it is i don't have face ripper which i think is a really integral integral part of the deck to kind of like fill face face, face collector uh face the one that the echo and, and echo legendary minions yeah legendaries yeah face collector because okay. because uh I, I think he like he like can feed tests up with some like legendary minions to to to, to fuck the board with Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess Tess's mana cost. Is she seven or eight? I think she's eight. Ah, that sucks. I was about to say, cause seven would actually make a very interesting kind of Baku, uh, Baku rogue where you get the two, two dagger instead of the one, two yeah. dagger. Um, but you know, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's Tess like the, like the, the more I play it, the more I think the, the biggest problem is just that it's, it's, it's hard to, it, it is hard to play a deck that is so reliant on the like the other player's class to like be like to to have like it's not that it relies to, on yeah the, to to be good yeah it's not that it necessarily relies on the other player's class but it relies on like it being other player's class and like you know like with my toy stealer decks like warlock usually works out okay because I am stealing cards directly from their deck and right. so. I get some of their cohesion in there, whereas tests like the test cards, or it's not tests, but you know the cards that pull, the the real cards that pull don't pull from the other person's deck, they pull, um, they pull random cards from the from the class, and so warlock sucks. And then like the text of the cards is like from another class, so playing against another rogue just kind of like totally fucks the deck, um, which is a, which is a real problem, right? Like, like a, a toy stealer priest works against a regular priest because that priest has things that I can use. Right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, cards in a deck are naturally going to be better than yeah. cards uh, that are that are Randomly random. pulled, yeah. Yeah, I feel like the best test deck, like, test gets play in the Tempo Rogue deck, um, just because, like, when you're playing Tempo Rogue, it's a good, like, test is a tempo swing, um, because if you've been using Blink Fox... And if you've been using Face Collector or whatever, right? Like, getting one or two cards played for free is, like, gigantic. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, but it doesn't play stuff like Pickpocket, right? Which is, like, the two-mana, you steal a card, Echo, yeah. or whatever. Like, that is that is the opposite of a tempo swing, right? Um, I can justify a 3-3 three, three for three that gives me a random card. It's harder to justify something like Pickpocket and make a deck around burglary. Yeah. No, I, like... Um, I, I think Lillian's also important. I do have Lillian, um, because... Oh, do you think Lillian is important? See, I also think Lillian is kind of not great. So, the way that Lillian works here is that you fill your hand up. You have a lot of draw whenever, and you fill your hand up with rogue spells, and you just, like, pop Lillian, and then you get your, your other class spells that way. Um, and it works, it works well on things that aren't Warlock, um, or Rogue, right? Like, um... It works especially well with like shaman and uh, and mage, because um, you, you like if you just draw direct damage spells, you're doing pretty fucking well. So, 
Um, although Lillian, or not Lillian, Tess behaves very unpredictably with those things because you could hit your own shit um, or whatever. Uh, uh, but it's still fun. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen? Oh, actually, I have an interesting question for you. Okay. This is like a Hearthstone like interactions question. I wonder if you know the right answer because I didn't know the right answer. Um, but it ended up working out for me. So yesterday I had a quest that was like, play Rogue, and I was like, ah, I'll play Rogue, but I don't have Tess Greymane, and I don't want to like fuck around, or maybe I do have Tess Greymane, but I was like, I don't really want to like fuck around with a Tempo Rogue deck, so I built a Kingsbane Rogue, where, you know, you buff your, your Kingsbane a whole bunch. Yeah. And I was playing against a Baku Hunter, and he kept me so low, because the only way that a Kingsbane deck works is with Lifesteal on it, right? Um, and so the first game, I got my I got my dagger pretty powerful pretty quickly, but I just couldn't translate that into a win because I didn't find a leeching poison um, quickly enough, and so he just like faced me down or whatever, right? And then I and then I queued into the exact same guy playing the exact same deck, and I was playing the exact same deck, and this time I had leeching poison in my opening hand. I was like, oh, this is great. Um, and uh, and it was great, but it was also awful because I got really low really quickly um, because I was using the dagger to clear out his like face, you know, monsters, right? Like um, stuff like like Wolf Rider and shit like that. And I was at a point where I was at one HP, and my dagger had five attack and and life steal on it, right? And I was facing down effectively lethal because I was facing down a wolf rider, right? Wolf rider is a three one. Um, and then I attacked the wolf rider. What happens? Do I lose because I deal three damage to myself and then die, right? Or do I keep playing because I deal five damage to it concurrently and then come away with three health, right? Because five plus five plus one minus three. So I think I actually experienced this because there's a uh, there's there's a a a two 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 life steal thing that gets plus one if you play a spell from a different class plus one to, to to durability, and I believe the answer is, um, you hit it, you will go to negative two on your display, but then you will gain five life and continue playing. Yeah. Okay. Because that's exactly what happened. Uh, and I was, and I kind of, I didn't think that that would, I thought I was dead. And so I was just kind of being cute and like killing right. myself by attacking the monster. And then I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> which was, which was funny. And then I went on to win the game because, uh, um, I ended up doing some combo or whatever that like got, oh, I used Doomerang. Ah. Uh. Cause I drew Doomerang and then I attacked him in the face and got five health. And then I Doomerang to get five more health. Um, and so I kind of brought myself out of that, like, ping range, um, where I was going to, where I was going to die. Nice. Um, but so, yeah, so that was, uh, so that was, that was an interesting experience. I like Kingsbane Rogue quite a bit, and I thought it was going to be bad because they rotated out a bunch of cards that I thought were going to be really good for it. Um, there was, uh, like, Black Sail Buccaneer, which is like the 5-4 for 4 that gives your weapon plus one attack. Um, South Sea Squid Face. Which was so good, right? Like the four four for four that gives your your um, uh, that gives your dagger uh, plus two attack on a death rattle, right? So like losing losing those, I thought was going to make it not really worthwhile, but uh, it turns out that that was not a big deal. Well, that's uh, that's good to hear. Um, yeah. Did you uh, did you play anything else with your with your week? Oh boy, oh boy. What else did I play? I've actually been having a hard time playing uh, playing WoW, and here's why. 
Um, I want to get my last class hunter to level 110, but this fucking wasteland of 60 to 80 sucks so bad. <laughs> like the quests, even though even the Northrum quests, which I think are better, um, are not and are not super like dated or whatever. Um, it's just oh I know I have something way better to talk about. Um, we fucking played. Pathfinder last week and we did these like negotiations oh yeah right I forgot and we didn't talk about that yeah so uh so last week you guys met with the ambassador um from uh the ambassador from Chiliax uh and like kind of like hashed out like a like a working agreement between the two of you uh between the two of you guys yes yeah we we did a bunch of uh back and forth um at the end of the day, we went neutral on most things. Um, I don't know how much you were expecting out of that. Uh, uh, you guys went. You guys went two. Uh, you went n- neutral on three things and not neutral on two things, which I think is a pretty okay balance. Um, though I think I did a poor. I did a not super great job of kind of like setting the. In a weird way, because I kind of felt like because I wanted to systemize it a little bit. Um, just almost as a clarity tool more than anything else, uh, and give, and give you a little, a little bit of a structure to kind of work, work in. Um, but that kind of meant that I had to kind of like assume ravenal positions for you, um, which was a little bit weird and wonky. So it kind of created this thing where like the neutral or like the stuff that you were giving up to Chaliax, um, like wasn't necessarily in, in grain with your goals because I was kind of assuming what your goals might be rather than like what they ended up being. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I, I will say that the fucking, uh, uh, you know, like we want to hire you guys to assassinate someone thing is just kind of like, what? Um, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that is just, uh, that's just to justify like more plot happening. Yeah. Is that a is that is that part of the uh, the adventure path as written? No. Okay. Um, in fact, it is uh, the adventure. I mean, so the adventure path as written for book four is just like taking back the whole, um, uh, taking back the whole of Kintargo, uh, the, the city. You know what I mean? It's like okay. Fighting, yeah, yeah. It's like fighting parts like block by block, and this is actually something that you do in book six. Um, which is like after the defeat of Barzillai and you do some stuff kind of consolidating your power in book five and then you meet with um, this this woman Nariza um, at the beginning of the of book of book six to kind of like hash things out um, their system I think is pretty bad though because it's basically just make a bunch of diplomacy checks and like fucking bleed Chaliax dry right like consider that this is built for like level 16 and 17 characters or whatever um, and I was kind of pulling a little bit from this stuff but there were basically five topics um, on hand which were the general topics of like trade and shit like that um, there were kind of these five topics at hand um, and they all start in a default position of really bad right and then if you make uh, dipl- if you make diplomacy checks they get better and better um, but the b- diplomacy checks are so low. Like the diplomacy check is like, like twenty eight or something like that. Like they're they're kind of like late twenties. Um, that I feel like between the group of you as a party, you would just get every single top level 
concession every time without any trouble at all which is kind of why i wanted to make it more of a balancing act between like okay what are the things that you're willing to give up in order for benefits in other you know like in other sorts of places yeah th um, th that feels like it'd be kind of shitty too because it's kind of like a binary thing that like doesn't really have any play to it it's like can yeah. you make the check um, yeah, and so some of the weird stuff is kind of like an artifact of that. Like you, like we mentioned, kind of like the um, like the trade agreement or whatever, like the thirty percent or whatever. Like yeah. that stuff that I lifted from that okay. I lifted from the book itself, which is kind of why I didn't really have a good answer for like how are you going to compel your people to sell this stuff. The book doesn't go into that, and I didn't really think about it until you brought it up. And then, but then I was kind of like, yeah, wait, what? That doesn't really make a. I don't yeah, know buddy, why aren't you up on your free trade principles? How that works or whatever. <laughs> well, I, you know, yeah. it's it's just yeah, it's just not something that I that yeah, I no, kind absolutely. of considered. I mean, yeah. I feel like the the answer is that like the state buys this stuff. Like at a market price, like the the state is essentially buying thirty percent of the stuff from private people and then selling that, um, and acting sure. kind of as a go between or whatever. But yeah, I, it just I it hadn't even occurred to me to think of an answer for that question, yeah. um, because I just kind of lifted it one for one. Yeah, it, the weirder part, I think, I think the weirdest part of it isn't necessarily the fact that it's like the state doing this; is that the state, like a foreign state, is kind of demanding a percentage of our product yeah that's actually the weirdest one because there is no concession for it in you it's just you give the best version of it is you give 30 percent of your shit guaranteed to chiliax and it paints that like it's a good thing like it starts at 70 percent, and then you negotiate her down to 30 percent. i'm a little bit like why what is yeah. the benefit there which is why i kind of created the trade-off with like lumber and ore and stuff like that right like um so yeah. you can kind of use this to like boost your you know your infrastructure development because those kinds of building materials are more expensive and rarer inside of ravenel yeah um, my point was, was less about like kind of like the the actual kind of like weird as the position but the fact that it was percentage right like i could buy with like a little bit less kind of weirdness like you know we will purchase like x thousand gold worth of stuff and then in the side you say that's about 30 percent of your gross domestic product or whatever yeah yeah right like um the fact they were demanding it in percentage is like oh it's just like a a weird thing that like implies a different relationship right like that implies that we're a vassal state somehow and like kind of not right we're independent yeah um oh I, I i just thought that that, that felt weird um, not, and I, I apologize if, if I came off as like railing against that too hard. No, uh, that's fine. No, that's fine. I think it's, it is a question that makes sense to be asked. Um, some of the, some of this is that it's kind of, I, I'm almost at a point in Hell's Rebels where we're so far from the kind of charted adventure path that being back on it in places is like hard. Like for instance, the thing that you earn um, by succeeding at negotiations or failing at negotiations completely doesn't matter uh, because Barzillai's plan, which is very dumb, or not very dumb, but is weird, in the book is that he wants to infuse his soul into the land itself and become a genus loci. Do you know what that is? No. Is that like a Pathfinder thing that I don't... Yeah, it's this thing where like he is like the land of Ravenel, right? And he is in the process of that transformation, basically, when you're, these negotiations are going down. And so kind of completely apropos of nothing, the, the performance you have in these negotiations corresponds to the strength of his power as a genus loci in the 
in the nation itself. And I was just like, what the fuck is any of this? Which is why I kind of rewrote it um, to be kind of the... Uh, like the version of Barzillai that we have today where like he is, he wants to be he, like, he wants to like go down and you know, like he wants to go down in history as like a great man that books are written about. You know what I mean? Like that's his like primary motivation and goal sort of thing. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense then. So genius, genius, genius loci is apparently from, uh, from Roman religion. It's like protective spirit of a place. But I, I googled the Pathfinder, it only appears in, in Hell's Bright, Bright Shadow. Uh, it's like a sentient land mass. Yeah, that's his. That's his end game. That's his goal is to become, is to become that, which is very weird. And so, I fucking I changed it. Uh, I also added in like this was this was the thing that I was really glad that I got an extra week for um, because I kind of rushed through. Right, I also yeah. tweaked with the system a little bit, but I had rushed through kind of who Nariza was and like the motivations for a lot of this stuff. Um, but getting the extra time actually got, gave me the idea or gave me the time to have the idea that Nariza is kind of this like huge rival for Barzillai and it kind of wraps up plot threads about who he is and kind of where he came from. Um, which was, I'm sure nobody appreciates this as much as I do that like the story is kind of like plot logically sound and like Barzillai's backstory is now like on screen justified uh, but it felt so good to be able to like justify this stuff um, on screen in a very like real way yeah no I, I, I definitely definitely feel that um, like I don't necessarily feel it as much in Tales Rebels but I know that there's been moments where I've had similar things where it's like and I know all these things and I made them beautiful why don't you appreciate oh my it? god by the way <laughs> it's funny because we brought it up a second time. Okay, so here's the thing. The 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 assassination mission, okay, <laughs> I didn't explain this at the time, even though I had built it to be there. So you remember that she comes with this entourage, right? Right. Um, and one of the people in the entourage is the noble, right? Is the noble who is the she's like the, the Archduchess of right. of West Crown. That's the assassination mission. That's her exerting her political force on uh, Abigail to get the assassination to get the assassination mission out of you guys because she wants uh, because she wants West Crown back. Um, and I was going to explain that, but then I forgot. And then we talked about it again, and I forgot again until now. Okay. So, <laughs> so it is not it is not better justified in the sense of like that is still a <laughs> like a weird thing for you to agree to. Um, but it is better justified in the context of the world in the sense of like, why the fuck is Chilag demanding this? It's demanding this because the noble who owns that city is present at the negotiations. And, uh, so yeah, I, uh, so that's why that's, that's the thing. That's why that's the thing. Yeah. So I, I if, if I'm going to comment on that, just like, it felt very weird and like, maybe the reasoning was, was a little bit opaque to us, but I feel like maybe you should have just been like, there's no deal here unless you agree to do this assassination myth mission for us. And maybe we would have been like, okay. Wait, I'm sorry. That is the case though. Right. But like, it, you, you kind of like, the, the way you kind of dealt with it at the table was kind of like, and you're going to do this. So whatever, we'll get on to other stuff. And like, you kind of like, Oh, I see what you're saying. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it felt much more like we were accepting that for like kind of like at the table game reasons than for like in character reasons. Um, and, and 
if if I were to offer any any sort of critic constructive criticism, I would say like maybe push that more in character and be like, no, there's no deal unless you agree to do this. And yeah, the danger that is so that is kind of the way that it was set up in uh, in the sense that like you guys needed a deal from Chalayax to stop Nadal, uh, and they needed you to do this like thing to like stop the glorious reclamation or whatever. Uh, but I also didn't want to like come off as. In a way, I was kind of lampshading the railroadiness of it. Um, yeah, and, 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 and because I didn't want to end up in a situation where you guys say, "Fine, then, no deal. We'll deal with Nadal ourselves." And there's kind of like no plan for that. Yeah, no, that's that, that's so fair. maybe I, I. So really, at the end of the day, I should have trusted that you guys would have. Uh, I, I don't know hopped if you, aboard the choo-choo train. I, I also don't know if like, I don't know, like, because I don't know. It's uh, you know what? Maybe that should have come up like that should have been like maybe a thing that like bars like told us that we were obligated to before we got to the table. Um, and maybe that would. Well, I mean, he did, in a way. Well, he, he didn't say the specifics. Right, right, but like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to deal. How, how he would deal with I, that. I, so I think the skeleton was there. But yeah. the 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 ex I I think really at the end of the day I kind of leaned into it in a way like too much like because I, I didn't create that in character justification I just kind of said like this these are the railroad tracks let's move on which I think was bad yeah 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 I I, I think I I agree with 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 that assessment um uh yeah I I don't know I've got a couple ideas maybe how you could have done that a little bit differently but it's neither here nor there. Um, but that makes a lot more sense kind of in post. Also, I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting to see what happens when, uh, the horde of Leonin come crashing through yeah, the tavern. Yeah, did you like that shit? Did you like that shit? I felt very good about <laughs> this, this plot twist. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to run this session, uh, even though we are recording in the time that we normally run this session. Uh, just cause it's, it is an unusual combat in the sense that, um, you guys have a VIP to protect rather than like... You know what I mean? Like, the rules of engagement aren't murder everyone. It is keep the, you know, the non-combat diplomat alive, right? So that she doesn't, so that, you know, it doesn't completely tank the negotiations you just uh, completed. Beauregard casts, like, uh, like you know, innocuous form on the, the VIP Turns her into a mouse, puts her in his pocket, and runs out the back door. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that's about all we have time for. Uh, uh, did you have any other points that you wanted to get across before you wrap this up? I don't. I'm good. All right. Um, if you want to tell us what you think about race in Pathfinder and uh, D&D, or about any other things we talked about, you can reach us at simdurfsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at simdurfsplaygames.com. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Twitter, rate us on iTunes. All links are in the description. We love communication from our fans. Fans, talk to us, please. Um, I think that's everything I had, uh, except for follow us at twitch.tv slash simdurfsplaygames. Um, that's everything I had, buddy. Do you have anything else you want to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.